Now we're going to continue our series. And uh, the stories that Jesus told, we began the series just last week. And tonight we're going to find sort of a strange phenomenon. Imagine yourself, if you would, surrounded, like I sort of am now, with uh, expectant people, people that uh, are waiting to hear what you have to say, only uh, they have higher expectations of the speaker than you probably have of me. Uh, someone like Jesus, uh, well, they expect him to do remarkable things, and, they're, and the people there are willing and ready to devoutly follow him and pretty much do anything he says. If that was you, what would you do? You were Jesus. Because what he does is tell a story. He tells a strange, ambiguous story about how it's hard for the people that are listening to him to listen. You ever had trouble listening? Trouble listening? Over, uh, yeah, I'll see it over the next 30 minutes. Uh, No, you guys are great. I uh, was talking to a campus pastor just uh, in December who admitted that uh, in one of his meetings with one of his students this previous semester, he did such a poor job of listening that he actually fell asleep during their meeting and woke up sometime later and the student was just sort of smiling at them gladly. Um, I think what we'll see tonight is uh, we have a hard time listening, but, but God, too, is patient with us. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 8. The text is up here. We're, uh, we're going to read uh, actually 8, 1 through 18. Uh, not the entirety of what you see there, but 8, 1 through 18. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell, along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to them, Few it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you listen. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Okay. Uh, Please pray with me. Father, we pray that you would uh, indeed lighten our minds and grant us ears to hear, uh, Lord Jesus, what you've done. 
Holy Spirit, what you're trying to tell us and make clear to us. Show us great things about yourself. Lord, enable faith, we pray. Uh, we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, two Duke psychologists, uh, one named Tanya Chartrand, the other Gavin Fitzsimmons, uh, names like that, they belong at Duke, doing doctoral work. They, um, they married one another and um, soon discovered uh, some interesting things about one another, which often happens to be the case when you're married. Uh, Tanya discovered that her husband had a uh, repetitive, uh, oft-repeated, very annoying habit. And the habit was that whenever she asked him to do something around the house, uh, he would do the exact opposite. Now, yes, it's not a good thing. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to discover a couple months into marriage. Now, uh, of course, she's a bright woman, so she, uh, I expect a number of theories ran through her head. Uh, plausible explanations like, my husband hates me. Or, um, my husband hates authority. Or having to be told what to do, so he does the opposite. Uh, the, the issue with that is, uh, every indication was that he thought he was doing exactly what she said. He was completely oblivious to the fact that he wasn't doing what she asked and doing the opposite. So then perhaps the issue could be that he was hard of hearing, except that he heard good things that he wanted to do perfectly well. Never had any problem with that. And, and being psychologists, what they decided to do was form a formal study. And, and what they discovered in their formal study, not just with him, but with many other people, is that there's a phenomenon called reactance. And um, that is that some people, like Gavin Fitzsimmons, unconsciously act in certain ways simply to avoid doing what their significant others want them to do. Uh, and I think we can understand this in some certain ways. Uh, think about perhaps the way you grew up and uh, your relationship with your parents. It's going to be true of all of you, but some of you simply realize that at one point in your adolescence, uh, because they were the authority figures in your life, you wanted to do pretty much the opposite of what they wanted you to do. And uh, if that doesn't work for you, then uh, you consider other things like uh, the Pittsburgh Parking Authority or your academic advisor any number of authority figures in your life that you have a hard time listening to. Uh, and it's not just an authority figure, it's anyone that tries to persuade you to embrace a message that you don't necessarily want. So, so for me, the most glaring thing, and I find myself, this is sort of a palpable, embarrassing thing. Uh, for me, I have a, a strong reactance phenomenon to jewelry store commercials. Uh, jewelry store commercials on the radio or on the television, you too, huh? Um, the, I don't know what they're trying to persuade me to think or feel, but what that elicits from me is a reaction, something like, shut up, devil store. Uh, uh, it's just the opposite of what they would have me want. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't completely understand it, except to say that some of us are almost allergic to uh, an idea. There's a message outside of us that someone's trying to persuade us of. And so much so that I don't even have to hear that message. I don't even have to hear their message. That, that store's uh, commercial might be logical and wonderful, and I don't even give it a chance because I'm too busy reacting. And I, what I want to propose to us tonight is that uh, this is a phenomenon that often characterizes our ability to listen to God. Uh, like Gavin Fitzsimmons, we often think we're listening to God, but we're not hearing what he says. We often think we're doing what he wants us to, but we're not. 
We don't know the difference. And sometimes we're reacting just the opposite way. And, and I expect some of you probably don't believe me. And so it'll be my burden to try to prove to you that uh, we don't like God telling us what to do. And we go out of our ways to avoid it. Uh, but some of you perhaps are real, just ready to admit, like, yeah, I don't listen to what God says, nor why should I? I've never really listened to it. So my job tonight is trying to help you see that it's possible and plausible and good. Okay. So we're going to see tonight is uh, it is possible, and it's also got possible for folks like us who think we listen to God but don't do it very well uh, to learn how to do it because Jesus is a good king, and he has good news, and we should listen to him. I'm going to move along by asking a couple questions. Why is it hard to listen? Because um, it is. Why is it hard to listen? Why should I listen? And then lastly, how do I listen? Okay. Um, perhaps you don't think it's that hard to listen. Perhaps you think you're a good listener, which pretty much doomed you to being a bad listener. Uh, research shows that um, when people think they are listening well, they in fact only comprehend 50% of what's being said. And two days later, they only remember 25%. So I'll keep that in mind. Two days from now, I'll ask you what this was all about. Um, and that's when they actually think you're listening well. Who knows what it's like when you're barely paying attention. And, and the reality is we're limited creatures. We're not as sharp as we think. We're not as smart as we think. Frankly, we don't care about what other people are saying as much as we like for them to think. Um, and maybe that's why, maybe, with this crowd before him, all these people and expectations, Jesus tells a story. Because stories are interesting and they're easy to listen to. And um, easy to remember, maybe. Maybe that's why Jesus tells a story. And uh, he tells a story with details, this parable of the sower, that would be common to them. It's imagery um, that they would know from everyday life. Um, it'd be like me telling a story, pulling out a newspaper or the parable could run like this. Um, and once was a man that drove in Pittsburgh. And he drove over potholes. And he drove up one-way streets. And he drove on crowded interstates. And you would say, yeah, that's been my experience. I understand that. And, um, and that's pretty much what these folks would say. Except, Jesus concludes this story like I just shared by saying, if I just share that story now, and walked out and said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then left. Literally, Jesus shares a story and says, if you can take it, if you can understand that, understand it. See ya. And that's it. That's what he shares with the crowd. And uh, what's clear as we move along is they don't understand it. Even Jesus' disciples who are with him regularly don't understand it. And they come to him uh, in verse 9 and ask him what this parable meant. Like, the story sort of makes sense. I understand, like, you sowed seed and stuff. But why? 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 What are you talking about? What does this have to do with anything? Why do, we, why do we get together and you share this story, Jesus? They don't understand why he tells stories like this. And, and what I want to sort of propose, and this is sort of a working hypothesis for the whole semester, is that uh, Jesus tells parables like this um, because God has seen fit for people that are hard-hearted like us that perhaps the best way to communicate to people that think they know everything already, that, that think they're in charge, is to sort of tell it slant, not to come straight at you. Because I mean, God does that over and over. And Jesus does it over and over too. He'll come to other places and says... I'm like this, this is who I am, what I want to do. And what we tend to do then is, and what people tend to do then will say, 
where are the rocks for me to throw at you? Uh, would you please leave? Or, or something like that. And uh, so what we have here instead is Jesus saying, I think, uh, I'll try a different strategy. I'll tell stories and see if they can handle it. Well, uh, this story is one that tells us uh, that we have hard hearts. And uh, the reason we can't listen very well is because we have hard hearts. Jesus, in his explanation to the disciples, basically says in verse 9, uh, he reads, um, do, 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 do. Uh, to his disciples, he said, uh, with the parable of men, he said, to you it's been given, verse 10, to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. I mean, I'm going to tell you clearly. Uh, but for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Uh, this is sort of troubling for people. It, it seems like Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell things in stories so people will intentionally not understand. I'm here to conceal the message. That's sort of what a flat, literal reading of the text looks like. But if you go back and look at the original text, which is in Isaiah, and Jesus is quoting this, what you see is God comes to the prophet Isaiah and says, um, Isaiah, my people are a mess. They don't want to listen to me. Their hearts are hard. And I'm calling you to go out and speak to them. And tell them stories. I mean, tell them stories that are true, parables. But seeing, they will not see. They will not understand. Hearing, they won't understand. And I think what you see from that text and this one is that Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to make their hearts hard. I'm going to tell stories to make them hard. It's simply a reality that this is the way things are. This is reality. People are hard-hearted. They think they know the message. Familiarity breeds contempt. And so let's try it from a slightly different angle and see how it works and see if people will be perhaps provoked into hearing it differently. So we have hard hearts. And this is a consistent testimony of Scripture, not just here, that uh, we think we know it all and our hearts are hard. Uh, another reason we don't listen, frankly, is we don't like authority. I, uh, I actually use in my notes that we hate authority. Maybe some of you don't feel like you hate authority. You simply don't like authority very much. Uh, you struggle with authority. You're okay with authority so in certain conditions. Uh, they're competent. Uh, they're entertaining. They can't be boring. This is what I've gathered from listening to you talk about your professors. Um, they're competent. They're entertaining. They, they sort of cut you slack when you're late or with an assignment or a little bit late in class. But tough on everybody else, especially those people that ask stupid questions. I mean, we've we got all these criteria for, for authority. And the reality is, I mean, we want to be the authority. We want them to meet our criteria because we're in charge. We don't like authority. We want to be in charge. We want the authorities to do what we want them to do. Um, we just have trouble with people that are in charge that aren't us. And, and there's another aspect of this struggle here, too. Because um, Jesus is basically saying, in the parable of the sower, friends, this is what it's like. God looks out over the whole mass of humanity as the authority figure and looks, and what he sees is, Everybody needs the same thing. The parable of the sower is God going out into the world and saying, there are no really special people here. Everyone needs this thing I've got, seed, and throwing it. So whether you're a prostitute or a Gentile or a Jew or a good little church kid or the freshman that slept with six guys and you don't know the names of four of them, you need all of you the exact same thing. No special status for you. We don't like that. I'm the good kid. Authorities are supposed to see that, like, I'm on their side. I'm with you, authority. Uh, and authority says, 
Really? Actually, I don't think you do. I think you really just want to be in charge. So you're just sort of sucking up to me. And uh, actually, you have much more in common with them. You really don't like me. So get back there where you belong because you need this. And then we say, I don't like you. That's like, of course you don't. <laughs> yeah. It happens all the time. Um, God basically is saying in this parable, there's one way for us to grow and change. And that's what I'm going to bring to you. None of you are privileged. None of you are better than the others. You all need the same thing. That's what I offer. And God scatters this thing out among the whole world. The good people and the messed up people and the broken people and the religious people and the non-religious people. And God basically scatters the seed everywhere and says, let's see where this takes hold. Let's see what happens here. He knows, of course. That's sort of what the parable looks like. And this is God's plan. His first plan, his second plan, his third plan, his only plan for changing you, changing the world. So, the first thing we need to admit is that we actually don't want to listen. We really don't want to listen. Uh, We don't like authority. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We don't want to hear his plan or program. Uh, But once we do that, once we admit we don't want to listen, it's not the same thing as actually wanting to listen. It's one thing to say, like, yeah, I don't want to listen. So I'm not going to. It's another thing to actually say, I don't want to listen, but I need to listen. How do I start wanting to listen? Why should I want to listen? And uh, what we see in our text is that God gives us good reasons to listen to him. And and we see it in verses 1 and verses 9. In verse 1, we see Jesus going through all of these towns and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Why should we listen? Because of God's good news. Well, we should just listen because it's God's. Whatever God says, we should listen. He's in charge. It's his world. Shouldn't we listen? Uh, Ideally, yes. Uh, We're not very good at that. So, some other reasons. It's good. It's good for you. It's good in general. You should want this. And it's news. Now, this is interesting because I don't think lots of us actually expect God to bring us good news. We expect God to bring us a fat long list of stuff to do. Duties, requirements, expectations. Um, I don't know if any of you read the book or not. I haven't, but I'd like to. Uh, A.J. Jacobs, a uh, pretty funny satirist, who uh, I think he's the editor for... Uh, the editor for But uh, he wrote uh, the book, The Year Living, Living Biblically. A.J. Uh, Jacobs grew up a secular Jew, and he didn't really have any uh, vested religious interest in his endeavor, but basically decided this year, actually this was the year after he decided to read the Encyclopedia Britannica, and become Mr. Know-it-all. The next year he decided uh, to year, live a year biblically. And he really knew very little about the Bible. And his approach was simply to read it all and try to do it all. Every single thing. All of it. And he really just quickly, like, I not only can't do this, but I don't even understand it. And so he asked insight from all kinds of people, Orthodox Jews and less Orthodox Jews, people in Israel, people in Manhattan, fundamentalist Christians, people, Christians that play with snakes, all kinds of folks. How do I understand this? And... Um, He's sort of making fun of this. At the same time, he began to realize some things changed in his life. But basically, his approach is often our approach. The Bible is a bunch of stuff to do. God's Word is just stuff to do, and I have to do it all. And it's simply not true. It's one of those deals where, like, paying attention to the ingredients doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're making, or even what the end is, or how this thing is good. And uh, one of our songs said, uh, 
Jesus has lush, hushed the law's loud thunder. We don't have to do it all because Jesus did it all. Uh, doesn't mean we don't have to do some things. That's sort of a message for another day. Uh, but we don't have to do it all in order to get in on the good of God. And that's our image of God. He comes with a message of all the stuff we're supposed to do if He's going to love us. He doesn't. Instead, He brings us good news. And the good news here is, in verse 1, the kingdom of God. Helping you understand that. Uh, the kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God, the presence of God at work in this world, pushing back darkness, bringing in God-like stuff, like righteousness and peace and joy and love. Um, and some of us have this image, we hear the word kingdom, we think of God as authority, and we're like militaristic, theocratic, probably two steps worse than the Taliban. Um, and that's the image that actually comes to mind. And the image the story gives us is something very different. It's not a God that sits on a throne way off and says, you must perform or will crush you. Instead, the picture here is of a king who says, you know what, I'm a farmer. I'm going to go to work every day. I'm going to go out there in the midst of the mess and share a message. My way of changing the world isn't demand that people come to me. Instead, I'm going to go to them and share a message. That's the image of the kingdom that God gives to us here. It's not any, like anything that we typically think. God draws near to share a message with us, and it's a message that brings fruit, that brings the very kingdom of God to bear in the lives of people. Uh, so why should we listen? Because of God's good news. But also because uh, growth is not just possible, it's inevitable. And, uh, and you sort of see that in the story. Jesus explains and interprets to his disciples what goes on. It's easy to think, and three out of four of these things are bad, so this is bad. Bad, bad. Negative, negative. And those of you that know me would think, Derek's pretty much a sourpuss, cynical, sarcastic. Certainly he would say, this is bad. Oh, yeah, it's sort of bad. But that's not the point. The point is, God goes out and sows seed, and it grows. There's a harvest. A sower, a farmer, goes out. Why? Because he wants a crop. And what does God get? He gets a crop. A hundredfold is what the text says. I know you guys don't have it. I'm not going to flip through it every time I'm sorry. Um, oops. That's why. Okay, now it's done for good. Um, okay, we're done. Uh, unless somebody wants to come up here and work on this. We're starting all over. I didn't like how I just messed up. So much more. Somebody wants to come up and try to find it if you can. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Um, it. It would be easy to look at this and see like the three negative examples. Man, all this bad stuff happens. The word, nothing happens. Uh, the point is, there is a crop. And a hundredfold. And, and hundredfold wasn't necessarily miraculous, but it was really, really good. Any farmer would have said, hundredfold, I'll take that every single year. And the point is, God's word works. It does. It produces life. And the life it produces is that of the kingdom. Um, God is at work through his message, this weak, vulnerable thing. I mean, the image here is a seed. God's sowing seeds. Seeds are these tiny little vulnerable things. You can get lost. Birds can eat it and then do other stuff with it when they're done eating it. Just think about that. Um, and, and the message is like that. Easily missed, easily dismissed, easily misunderstood. In spite of all that, it has the power to change lives. 
probably been a long time since you've been awestruck, unless you're my wife, by the mystery and power of a seed. You know, like in fourth grade, you had to like put that, or maybe like Sunday school for some of you, or vacation Bible school, you put your seed in a clear plastic cup, and you're told how awesome it was going to be. You're supposed to watch it every day, and you forgot for two weeks, and then you looked one day, and you're like, oh, there's something there. Awesome. Um, well, it is awesome that this tiny little thing has the DNA in it to produce a plant that produces seeds, that produces more plants, and so on and so on. And that's exactly what's going on here. The message of the gospel, the word of God, has the DNA to produce in your life the kingdom of God. The very presence of God, the reality of Christ living in you, and Christ's likeness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, doing self-control, that stuff becomes a part of your life because of the message planted into your heart. We, we tend to think that God's plan for changing us is to smash us, destroy us, um, clean the mess out, which would be like a little shell of me, and then put some other thing inside of me. And it's sort of a different image here. What God's doing is planting a new reality inside of you in this message and growing, if you will, some aspect of himself in you, making you more like Jesus. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a thing that we should long for. I think we should long for to be more like God, more like Jesus, more like this beautiful kingdom God wants to see in our world. But how do we listen? This is the last point. Because if you look carefully at the text and the interpretation of the text, what you see is in verse 12, and you can't look carefully. William, sorry. Uh, and I'll have to read it to you. In verse 12, the ones along the path are those who heard. And uh, the devil came and took it away. The ones on the rock are those who, when they heard, received it with joy. And um, you go on, and uh, there are those that fell among the thorns. They are those who heard. Everybody in this story hears. Everyone in the story hears. It only does one group of people any good. So there's a difference between hearing and hearing. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 18. Pay attention to how you hear. What are you going to do with what you hear? I can see it in your eyes. You've never noticed this before. Like, what is he saying? That's what the text is pointing out. That all kinds of people hear the message, but it only benefits those who hear it in a certain way. And uh, so how are we supposed to listen? That we would bear the fruit of the kingdom of God in our hearts. Uh, I'm going to give a couple things here. Uh, one, we should, we should hear it realistically. And uh, by that, I want to say, we need to be willing to admit exactly where we are. Um, some of you are perhaps like the first person. You're like those who receive the seed by the side. Um, and it's just there for a second and gone. And maybe your experience has been, yeah, I've been in church a couple times and sort of heard something. And I uh, don't really know. But then I came here and I watched some stuff on the Discovery Channel and I had a class. And suffice to say, I've got enough. I think I'm okay with that. That at best is a cursory hearing. You've got like a little tiny exposure to it. And friends, I just want to say if that's your situation. I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. Uh, but if what Jesus is saying here is true, that he is a king who draws near, and the bigger story is, like the seed, he's willing to be planted in the ground for you, to die for you, um, to bear your sins, and uh, that he's willing to bring a new life into you, then then you cannot be indifferent to the message. You just can't say, well, I think I've sort of got it. Um, I'm not putting pressure on you to act in any certain way here. I'm simply saying, it's not, a, it's not even sensible to say, 
that looks sort of okay. Now, you have to make a decision eventually, over time. I am either against this message and hostile. I don't believe it. Come to a studied opinion. I don't believe it. Or, it's true. Either Jesus is right, or he's wrong. He can't be sort of okay. He can't. Not based on what he said. That's just simply not a possibility. So, if you just had a cursory hearing, I would say, take a deeper look, please. Uh, and perhaps you're, that's not your story. Uh, you're like these other folks. You've, you've heard the word. You've studied it. You've been exposed to it many times. But you, you look in your life and you sort of wonder, like, who am I in this story? That's sort of an unsettling question. Um, and maybe there are signs in your life that maybe you're one of these categories you don't want to be in. And if that's the case, I want you to know, I don't think these are hard, fast things. Like, oh, I'm that person. I'm certainly going to hell. Um, so I think that's what the text is telling us. But it is the possibility that you can look at your life and say, yeah, trials of this world. I feel the pressure. I'm in an academic setting in a degree where people think if I'm a believer, I'm an idiot. I don't like that. I don't think I want to be that. So I'm just going to hide that. I'm not willing to suffer. The, the indignity of people thinking I'm stupid. Or perhaps it's uh, just the opposite. Maybe uh, a slightly different story. You, you, you sort of believe this word your whole life, but now you're here in college, and uh, there's no one like sort of checking uh, in on you, and you're, and you're free to explore and enjoy all the pleasures uh, of your young adulthood. Um, to to uh, yeah, enjoy all the pleasures of your young adulthood. And uh, not all those things are terrible. But if you're not careful, what you can easily find yourself doing is what happens here. You give your life and your energy to what the text calls weeds, thorns in your life. And uh, Frederick Nietzsche, you know that guy that we some Christians don't like at all. He has something very influ- something very uh, helpful uh, to say about this. He, uh, I don't know if he meant to or not, but he wrote, uh, "He whose vision is defective always sees less than those with good eyesight." But he who is hard of hearing always hears something extra. And that's a temptation for us. Let me, let me explain to you. Uh, he who's hearing or is hard of hearing always hears something extra. Friends, we, we are hard of hearing. We've talked about that. We don't want to listen. The temptation is not for us like not to hear the message. See, the, the temptation for us is to hear the message in all kinds of other messages. And really want those messages. More than we want God's word. And to live for them. And to give our life for them. And to forget... Uh, what it is that God's done for us and what he wants for us. So how are we to listen? Knowing who we are, being realistic about that. I would encourage you to admit what's going on in your heart. Well, admitting what's going on in your heart is what's called repentance. In verse um, 18, and then also in uh, verse 15, uh, at the very end of verse 15, we see those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. You might be despairing. I mean, maybe. Honest and good heart? That's maybe not me. Maybe it is you, and if you do think that, you're in trouble. Um, reality is, like we talked about earlier, we don't naturally have an honest and good heart. You're not born with this thing. You have a divided heart. It wants all kinds of stuff. You don't want to do what God says naturally. Who has an honest, natural, good heart? And I think the encouragement for you comes, friends, with the honest part. Be honest. Be honest with God about where your heart is. It's called repentance. 
And as you do this repeatedly, over and over, bringing before God what's on your heart, what you really want to depend, um, and grieving over that, you'll see God beginning to change your heart. Uh, this is the process of repentance by which God gives you a different kind of heart. He makes you more like Himself. Uh, God makes this true in our lives. So as we repent over and over, bringing our heart to God, we also need to do something else, which is repeatedly expose our hearts to God's Word. And uh, that's what it means here to hold fast the Word. I don't know what you think of when you hear that phrase, hold fast the Word. It's almost like, you got it, and you tuck it away, and it's good, and you're done. Um, so I got it in my back pocket, and it's safe, and I'll go put it in the safety deposit box or my locker. And uh, it's cool, and I'm good for now. And that's certainly not true. Uh, hold fast means to cling to it repeatedly. And I think the image here for us that helps more and more is not, I can stow this thing away for safekeeping because I got it down pat. Uh, the truth is we're always running away from that message. We're always running away from the message that God loves us and Jesus, that God is willing to forgive us, that God's authoritative word is actually good for us. We're always running away from that. We never have it down pat. Instead, we have to be reminded of it over and over and come back to it over and over. So the picture here, friends, of listening is repeatedly coming to God with an honest heart saying, God, this is what I really want, and this is what I really am. But then embracing His Word and His message in the Gospel, again, over and over, all the time, the message that God loves you, that God will change you uh, through that message, until He does and begins to. Okay, a few little practical pointers. Uh, it's not enough just to admit it, to acknowledge it, that you have less than a good heart, that you need a little bit more Bible or Scripture or Gospel in your life, you, you actually need to do something about it. And um, this is not something you have to do that earns God's favor. This is something you need to do if you actually want to see the fruit in your life that the Scripture promises. And so I'd encourage you at the beginning of the semester to think about that. A lot of you guys are already doing this stuff, and it's great. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. Um, but God gives us His Word in order to change our lives. And so I'd encourage you, if you're someone here and you're in this first category I talked about where you don't know hardly anything about this message, um, to join one of our Bible studies or talk to me. And uh, let's figure out some way for you to, to learn what Scripture says so you can make an informed decision about what you think. And for the rest of you that are sort of struggling in your life, you're happy through your year, academically you may be acing it, but you look at your life and you wonder if you're failing life, you don't love the people around you, you're too consumed with other stuff. You wonder if you're going to grow in your faith or not. Uh, I would like you to honestly look at yourself and consider your relationship with God's Word. Are you reading God's Word regularly? Are you being honest about where you are? Just repenting, looking at your heart, confessing it to God regularly, uh, part of your life, part of your day. And and to take opportunity here halfway through the year to say, I'm going to try and do some stuff different by this semester. I'm going to find a Bible reading program. Not because it earns God's favor, but because I need to read it and I need a schedule and it's just wise. I can't trust myself to a schedule. I need a person to read the Bible with. I'm going to find a person to read the Bible with. Get in a small group. Talk to me about maybe getting together for lunch and uh, reading a book of the Bible every now and then. But uh, now's a good time to do something. To drink deeply from God's Word. I just want to be clear. You don't have to be good. There is no such thing to come to Him in this way. In this text, there's only two kinds of people, those who listen and those who don't. And the promise of this text, and it's a good promise, is that God is good. He wants to bring a good kingdom to bear in this world and in your life. And if you listen, 
this. What is this? You don't do anything extraordinary. If you listen to his word, to his message, make it a part of your life. Take it in. Build your life on it. God will do wonderful things in your life. He will make you like Jesus. Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, subversive stories. And uh, because they show us uh, what's in our heart. And we don't want to see it. And we have really good defense mechanisms, Lord, to do everything we can, not to take good looks at ourselves. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us uh, as adults now, with a little bit of life experience, to look and see, uh, I am not the best authority figure in my life. I am not completely trustworthy. I do some pretty foolish stuff. And help us to consider the, the your goodness and your wisdom and your love. That uh, you not only tell us what to do, but you're a God that draws near, as near as our hearts, and walks with us, and, and seeks to make us like yourself. Lord, I pray for those here that uh, really struggle to believe any of this, really skeptical of the message, that you would make the truthfulness and the reality of this message um, part of their life. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to drink deeply of your word, learn more about you, and reflect your beauty. pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we did the-